Hello, valued listener. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We're in the final stretches of the year that is 2023. And so as is tradition, I'm about to go on my annual break. I really do apologize for some of the unscheduled breaks I've had to take this year. There's been a lot going on in my personal life. I'm sure we'll unpack that all in February. But I just thought I'd let you know that Content and Capable will have this episode come out and then we'll have uh, next week's episode come out, which is a very special feature featuring um, some of my favourite people talking all about uh, a certain movie that came out earlier this year that I've been dying to talk about. But then Content Capable will be back on the 12th of February. So you'll hear a trailer come out sometime before then and our first episode will be back on the 12th of February for another season of amazing podcast goodness. Thank you so much for all your support this year. Um, Enjoy these last two weeks worth of episodes. I've really enjoyed recording them. Uh, and uh, br- happy new year. Enjoy this festive season. Uh, and I'll be back with uh, more content in February. Thank you. A podcast to honor the gods. This better come with a sacrifice. Dave X Media. Content Capable acknowledges the indigenous people on the land on which we record this podcast the Tarongarong people. We offer our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Sovereignty was never ceded. Welcome to Content and Capable, the only podcast that, when recorded live, Sam reorganises boxes in his room. I'm your host, Sam, uh, and joining me today in person, for the first time I think I've had an in-person guest in about two years now, uh, is my housemate Hannah. Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the insert of applause. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll insert it after you ask. Yes, yeah, sorry. That would be fantastic. Um, I so yeah, you can edit that. No, in. no, no, it's totally fine. Um, for those who don't know, well, most people don't know, this is Hannah. This, she's my housemate. She also happens to work with me. We work at the local newspaper together. So, um, yeah. Um, Hannah, do you want to talk about your mild trauma with this podcast? Well, my mild trauma, I'd say it's quite severe, actually. <laughs> so, obviously, being Sam's housemate, um, I sort of live, I don't live, I sleep next door <laughs> to him. And often, um, to my audio delight, um, at times, Samuel will record the podcast at questionable hours, sometimes at 2am. That was not recording the podcast. <laughs> And so Sam is correct in saying that this is my first time being on a podcast, but I, I feel like I've really been on the podcast, just not actually on it, but more sort of a passive, unconsenting viewer through the past eight months. I feel like she just heard half the conversations over the last eight months and gone, eh, yeah, maybe by Stockholm Syndrome I'll come on. <laughs> um I will argue that I try to keep it at reasonable hours. I've learnt my lessons. And and also, in my defence, you are a light sleeper. It is your fault. Let the record show it is currently 10.30pm at night. <laughs> I just want your <laughs> listeners to know the truth. 10.30 is... 
I don't know. It That's was, great for you. There was that time I had a uni assignment that I stayed up all night to do. And it wasn't even to work all night. It was the fact that I had an interview at 1 at 1 a.m. and 1 at 3 a.m. And my 3 a.m. pulled out in like, no, it wasn't my 3 a.m. My 1 a.m. pulled out, I think. So I had to wait. I still had to be up the whole time. Anyway, trauma. I think I've told that story before, but whatever. Um, before we get into the topic of mm. the episode. Mm. I don't know. Do you want to explain your history with movies so I can explain my non-history with movies? <laughs> um. So when brainstorming, I guess the idea of this podcast, I basically pitched movies just because I love them. My family has a tradition of we try and watch all the Oscar-nominated films and we basically yeah just make bets on what we think will win. So it's a nice family tradition is, yeah, definitely sort of, I guess, generated my love of cinema and movies. And, yeah, I'm pretty deadly at any entertainment section of pub trivia. Um, so it's nice that I can really put my my skills to use and, and you know, I've never be of seen, use to you. <laughs> I've never seen you do so much research. And th- this is speaking as journalists. I've never seen you do so much research for a topic. And then, like, on the complete opposite end, I don't think I've watched a huge amount of, like, movies. We're, we're on an education yes. uh, journey together. To Although, quote Jesse in Pitch Perfect, we are continuing or initiating your movication. Movication. <laughs> Which is extensive. The first time you said that to me yesterday, I was like, it's movie? A are... move? Like, moving, physically yeah. moving how? Like, what? <laughs> no, you are my Everest. I shall conquer you. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe edit that out. I don't know. <laughs> we'll decide. We'll... I don't know. Yes, yeah, sorry. Introduce the topic, Sam. I don't know. Yeah, so we're going to go through the 10 movies that have defied our generation. And I should say with a caveat, we are born within about 12 months of each other. Yeah. How and old are you, Sam? Tell the viewers. I am the ripe old age of 21. I am 22. So we are cusp millennials Gen Z. We are Gen Z. We are like, yes. We are, if you had to look at like the definition, we are wholly within Gen Z. But we're having this discussion last night is that we, there are a lot of things we have done that are hallmarks of the millennial experience. I would also go on top of that and say we have an appreciation for millennial cinema. I would say as well. Like people born in the 90s, the movies that they loved, I would say we love as well. Which happened to be the movies that came out in the early 2000s, which was when yes. we were born. Spectacular. Yeah, let's be honest. We did a lot of rewatching of movies that came out between the between 2002. Post 9-11. Mm. I just realised it's all post 9-11. You, do you want to link it to that? Or? Look, culturally 9-11 has a very interesting impact on cinema and TV. So fascinating. Mm. Um, but we both have independently created theoretically top 10 lists. Let's be honest. They're not top 10 lists at this point. I have 13 movies on my list. <laughs> um, so what we've sort of done, or I've done, Sam yeah. can piggyback off this if he'd liked, just so we have some criteria, I've divided it into three main categories. So we're looking at 10 movies that have defined um, our generation. First um, sort of criteria is all about timelessness. So at the time you watch a movie, yeah, it's pretty great. You revisit it 10 years or so later, and then you go, oh, that actually doesn't really hold up that well. So first criteria is timelessness. Does a film originally made, say, 10 years ago, 
watch it now. Is it still effective? Does it still, you know, transform you? Um, second criteria, which is a personal favorite of mine, is quotability. I think often, I guess, the effectiveness of a film can sometimes just be in its relatability and quotes. Um, so that's a really important one for me. And then third one is actually quite simple. It's just knowledge. If I picked a random 21-year-old off the street and said the name of a movie, would they know what I was talking about? I do so think it's... we need to be really clear. We are two 20-something Australians <laughs> who grew up in Brisbane, Queensland. Like, <laughs> we both have, like, very similar background yes. with, like, parents who have deep appreciations mm. for, like, the popular culture of the 90s and yes. early 2000s. And we're anticipating that some... We haven't shown each other our movies. Yeah. So we... We are anticipating that some of them might be the same. But, you know, what a fun roller coaster ride for everyone. Did you want to kick things off, Hannah? Oh, I think I will let the... I think I'll let you. Oh, no. I'm going to pick one to start with. Oh, you know what I'm going to pick? And I, I'm picking this one because of the impact that it has had on us and i think this is very telling of who you and i are as people and it's the movie heathers mm. um i think yes excellent the cultural impact it has had it's a movie from 1987 yes it's like the cultural impact that that movie has had especially in obviously in terms of the west end musical um is that and it kind of and I'm sure Mean Girls is on both of our lists, but, like, you know, it kind of influences what Mean Girls is like, mm. but it also is that grittier, gorier thing that I think mm. our generation is mildly obsessed with, like, that grit and gore. Yeah, black comedy. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think... And this is the hard thing, is that, like, I think Americans... I'm, I'm sorry to the majority of Americans who, for my listenership base, but you know, for Americans, I think they did struggle with it until it came became a musical. Whereas it was a British cult cat classic, like Winona Ryder. Yeah, um, and and by extension, Australia as well. Mm. It reminds me of picking up Hanging Rock uh, at Hanging Rock as well a little bit with a yeah. kind of like female, like. Clutch my pearls, kind of attitude that yeah. everyone had. We have to talk about the costuming for Heather's. I think that's just so integral. It's it to everything. Our our like reliance on color coordination mm. and the the color theory I use when justifying fashion choices nowadays, I think is directly influenced by things like Heather's and that classic trio that you know you mentioned in me yeah. and Heather's. Um, I'm trying to think of other classic sort of you know most them Vital like. Um. <laughs> Who's the th oh donkey right? Yes, <laughs> one's clearly the third wheel, Heather but Chan has a, like a whole glow up moment, Sorry. you know. Heather Chandler, Regina George, and Donkey from Trek. Is that the trio we're going with? <laughs> well, I might. You've stolen my thunder a bit, slightly, Sam. I didn't. I'm amiss to say Heather's wasn't on my list, but yeah. Mean Girls was. So I might go into. Okay, that. but let's be honest, Mean Girls. <laughs> Has a lot of other like things going for yes. it, right? Was Mean Girls on yours? Let me check. I don't think I put it on here because I knew you were going to put it on your list. Honestly. So I think from those three criteria I spoke about before timelessness, quotability, just knowledge, everyone knows Mean Girls. I think everyone can quote at least one quote from Mean yeah, Girls. Like, absolutely. it's October 3rd. Um, That's so fetch. <laughs> Stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> 
Um, and I think similar to what you were saying about Heather's, it's transcended to other mediums. You know, you've got the brilliant musical Renee Rapp Goddess. So excited to see the movie. That's a whole the other movie podcast that episode. Hollywood is like ashamed of, but okay. <laughs> um, and I just think, yes, I guess for us, we've seen lots of different sort of, I guess, teenage coming of age movies. Many of whom are, are really fantastic. What comes to mind? Edge of Seventeen, Booksmart, Perks of Being a Wallflower, Do Revenge. Do Revenge. Really excellent. Heartbreak High, the reboot. Yes, but I don't think for me. And that's what I found really challenging when doing this sort of exercise. I just, I love movies so much and especially sort of different ones. But yeah, Mean Girls just, I couldn't escape. And I just think timelessness, quotability, it just takes, it just, it's on the mantle for me. It's also that generation of SNL that went through. Yes. That is, that has, you know, we've got Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, mm. Aaron Samuel. Yes. Not Aaron Samuels, that's a character name. What is <laughs> that's, leave that in. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there's plenty of fuck-ups on this podcast. Um, I think it's it's a really hard thing to sit there and, like, not appreciate the impact it's had. But Mm. also, and I think this will be a common theme, the impact that, like, films that don't take themselves seriously have. Like, I think in this age of Netflix and HBO where everyone takes things so seriously, I'm like... I just need a fun movie where, you know, 10, 20 years later, it actually turns out all three male leads are gay uh, in real life. And it's, you know, and it's all the stupidity. It's Lindsay Lohan at the peak of her fame. Yes, amazing. Um, you know, I thinking of, like, at the time, Britney Spears. Mm. And, like, that was so 2004. Yeah. And it wasn't a shame to be. No. Yeah. I love it. I just, yes, I could. We could talk about it forever. I could talk about Migos forever. Um, um, second movie. Second movie. Look, I'm going to go a little bit more current. Mm, hit me with it. Barbie. No, our first overlap. Our first our overlap. Greta Gerwig also got goddess. Yes, goddess, goddess Greta Gerwig. Mother of cinema. Mother. Mother. Mother of cinema. She can spit um, my face. No, um, I. Keep <laughs> that in. We say this often in this household. <laughs> Oh, no, I mean, I think what, Sam, you've seen Barbie four times, three times? At least three times. I've got to see it a fourth time because there is an episode coming out now that the SAG-AFTRA strike is officially over, uh, where uh, the Barbie Chaos Gang will be back uh, to talk about Barbie. I think it's fascinating because obviously this is a post-Me Too film. I think there was eras of, like, popular cinema. You've got post-9-11 and where we started to, we're looking for an escapism in movies. And then you've got post-Me Too where we talk about feminism and its complexities and Mm. empowering young people. And I think that Barbie is a direct product of that. Mm. Um, It is... I don't know. Having ex- and post COVID as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's funny. I think the, I guess us saying Barbie and putting on the list is almost a direct contradiction to the criteria we've laid out because you know it's just been released. But I, I really agree. I think it's just been so effective and multi generational. You know, I think when I went to the cinema. I went with my mum, my my dad and my younger brother, but I saw women there, you know, with their grandmothers, um, little girls. And I think it's been a while, 
at least for me, and I know the pandemic definitely had um, an effect on this, it's been a while since I've seen that sort of effect across generations um, and pushing people to go to the cinema. I think the last time I'd point to it would maybe be Avengers Endgame, just not only in terms of hype for a movie, but just sort of the wild variety of demographics mm. going to see the film. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. It's also one of those ones where there's a lot of background knowledge, there's a lot yes, of references. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a really important aspect to acknowledge that there is a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of things that we learn, um, in that movie. Um, and you know, everyone has spoken about Barbie probably in the last year, whether they like it or not, it's a whole Mm. other thing. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, every American at Thanksgiving this year, but also, you know, everyone who has a family gathering over the holiday season is probably going to have to have that uncomfortable conversation with that, you know, um, anti-feminist or, you know, conservative relative who, you know, thinks that Barbie is inherently bad. And I would say that... Indoctrinating the youth. Well, this is the thing. It unites... Movies are escapism. Mm. We can't turn around and, you know, claim that, you know, of course there are ways that, like, movies impact people. But the messages are popular. uh, uh, Not popular, sorry. The the messages are positive and they are, they have a, they spark a conversation and they have nuance as well. It's probably the first movie where I've seen it and a message that had a bit more nuance to it beyond the surface level as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it did cop some criticism for sort of what people dubbed as sort of 101 intro to feminism. Mm. Um, But I thought about it, I think there would definitely be young girls and particularly even sort of young men or even older who maybe wouldn't have had that knowledge about feminism. And, you know, I, I don't think there's ever a bad way to introduce someone to feminism. So, yeah, it's... I Unless it's I Joe it. Rogan, but, you know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> From a cinema, like, film nerd, just the cinematography, the costuming, the music, we obviously can't escape. Yes. Ryan Gosling's iconic... Iconic. I don't Masterpiece. Think that that ma- I, I think <laughs> this just is the thing. We're in our Barbie area where we're identifying yeah. theatre kids left, right, and centre. I yes. know you said to me last night that... Um, I made the comment to Hannah while we were watching the Errors movie film um, that uh, Taylor Swift is really just a theatre kid. And she, she is. You, you go yes. look up, watch her perform. She's a fucking theatre kid. She is. Um, and fucking in the, the derogatory sense, I'm sorry to all theatre kids out there, um, but Ryan Gosling is a theatre kid. Margot Robbie mm. is a theatre kid. Yes. Greta Gerwig... I would say is the reluctant theatre kid. She's like the band nerd, I think, who's like brought all these theatre kids together. She's like, who do I know that would like go on this crazy adventure? Oh, yeah, the theatre kids. Let me go and get them. Like, and it it, it works really well. Yeah. And I just think we have to just give so much kudos to Greta Gerwig. Just what a phenomenal effort. And, yeah, I don't know about you. I think I've been such a fan of her previous work, Lady Bird, Little Women. She does girlhood just phenomenally. The only other Greta Gerwig movie I saw was Little Women, and I only saw the last hour of it. See, see Movication. Yeah, Movication. The Movication continues. Okay, what's your second choice? Um, Well, since Barbie was stolen, <sighs> I might go probably launch into another brilliance of female storytelling that is Abba's Mamma Mia. I was considering putting it on the it list. It must be there. It must 
there are only two words really and then we can move on and those two words are Meryl Streep and I'll leave our audience there I could but I won't because I love talking (laughs) um it just has everything obviously the translation of Abba's from the stage musical Mamma Mia to the movie Mm -hmm. um the brilliance of it Dancing Queen does your mother know that you're out just come on I'm in that beach scene watching those men (laughs) phenomenal (laughs) it's just something Uh, that makes me it makes me smile it's quotable it's timeless Everyone knows it. Even if you haven't seen it, you're aware of Mamma Mia. And I just think it's something, it's like a drug. It makes you so happy whenever you put it on. It's just such Mm. a feel-good movie for me. And yeah, I'm biased, but I I think it's just such a favourite. I have vivid memories of sitting in the back of a car on a road trip and having my mother's iPod... You know, mm. back when the iPod was the circle with the dot in the middle and you had the little screen and listening to ABBA. And so that stuff just makes me smile. The music, obviously the plot is absolutely nonsensical and I love it for it's it. It's brilliant. And it's the, it's back to that escapism ideal as well. It's just mm. like that movie, you don't need to think about it too much. It's just fun. Yeah. Um, And it, as you said, quotable and probably one of the better stage to silver screen adaptations I've seen. Um, I know that are some musicals that turn into movies, they really struggle. I'm I'm holding out hope for Wicked, but I'm I'm almost convinced that Wicked might be one of those ones that, like, is it it going to translate really well to a movie? I think I'm... I'm worried. Wicked is one of my all-time favourites, so I'm, I'm holding high hopes. I'm waiting for the Hamilton announcement one day. I think that I think, yeah. I, they might do to it what they did to Les Mis, though. So. I do not. And that's the problem. It's like something like Les Mis, it just shows you how hard it is to, like. I want to preface that I adore that. Anne Hathaway and she can do no wrong. And her <laughs> rendition of Fantine's I Dreamed a Dream was brilliant. Oh, but gosh. the movie, yes, the movie. The hate people pile on Anne Hathaway. That poor woman. I love Anne Hathaway. She is mother also. <laughs> this episode, this could just be me naming. This ep- yeah. <laughs> well, there, there will be a bonus episode at some point where it's just Hannah sitting by herself, just mother. listing mother, mother. and Hathaway, mother, you know. Um, okay, we're on to choice number three. Yes. <sighs> See, it's really hard. It is, I yeah. Think I think I'm going to have to do Shrek 2. Specifically Shrek 2. Oh, no! We've had another overlap, ladies and gentlemen. I did just have Shrek, but I sort of... The trilogy... Like, look, Shrek 4 I don't really like to talk about, so I have to say the trilogy. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, sorry, I'll I'll let you speak. Well, uh, the the only note I've written underneath Shrek 2 is the I need a hero scene. That's all you need to know about Shrek 2. Never... (laughs) Has there been, and never, let's be honest, will there ever be a more cinematic masterpiece than is I Need a Hero? It's... Jennifer Saunders? Am I right in saying that? Yeah. We interrupt this podcast to show Hannah frantically Googling before she spreads. It's not the first time someone's frantically Googled on this podcast. I think that the really important She's part... right. She is right. She is. Continue. Continue. You are the expert. It's the... It's the slow, melodic piano, and then it's the hit it. Yeah. And then it's the choir. And it's... 
it, and it's DreamWorks at the height of their fuck Disney point yes. in their, their, you know, as a company. And it was mm. like before DreamWorks started taking themselves seriously. So we're back, we're back in that delusional point. Um, but like also when like DreamWorks didn't take itself seriously, mm. it made some bangers. Um, and I think what really I love about the I Need a Hero scene, especially is it gives me those funny giggles where you're watching the good guys defeat the bad guys. It reminds me of the car chase scene in the Blues Brothers movie. Yes. um, Where you're just laughing at the fact that, you know, the most expensive scene in movie history has been made where they wreck, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Chicago police cars. Yes. And you just, like, it, it makes you smile because it's like, and it's combined, I think that the importance for us, especially you and I, is a good soundtrack. You need 100%. good music. One, yeah. Um, and if you're going to choose popular music, you've got to do it well. And Shrek 2, and to an extent Shrek 1, I would say as well, does a really good job. there, And they translate to musicals really well. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about the Shrek trilogy? <laughs> I just think it meets that criteria. It's timeless. It's quotable. That's a nice boulder. Hit it. <laughs> Just hit it. I want that to be my... Actually, no. That and, like, be... I don't think anyone our age has not seen Shrek no. 2. At least Shrek 2. And if you pulled someone off the street, like I said before, and just mentioned Shrek, people just know what it is. It's also, like, back at the height of fart jokes when Captain Underpants was a book series that kids seriously read. Did you see Shrek the Musical? Off topic. I have seen a... Um, maybe a slime tutorial of it. It brought me to tears. I just want to put that out there to the listeners. Um, I think it's called "I Guess I'll Be a Hero" or something to yeah. that, and it is the most moving song where Shrek basically sings how he wished that he could be seen as a hero. It was hard. I sobbed into my Hannah, into my green martini. Thank you, pack. <laughs> The lady next to me was concerned. Um, no, it was stunning. I could not recommend it more. And it's, I know people, when you say Shrek the musical, it automatically just sort of, you know, you get a bit of giggles from people. They're like, oh, but it's, it's actually good. very It moving. is a good musical, I think, from and where great I soundtrack. Yeah. You know, Smash Mouth, um, I'm a Believer. Um, what else? Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I've just forgotten... All star. There All we star. Go. Yeah. By Smash Mouth. You did say Smash Mouth before. Yeah, the iconic. Um, we use it for our arm workout. Oh gosh, not the arm workouts. How did the arm it's workouts get a mention of this dance. podcast? We haven't done them for months. I have. You've been hiding away. <laughs> Oh. Sorry, I'm also doing a movication and also just introducing Sam to vigorous arm exercises. <laughs> Which is sounds like a euphemism now. Oh no, it's not. No, it's with weights. It's at a gym. And a gym, our garage that I refuse to be in during the winter. <laughs> okay, well, well, your choice number three. Well, surely we're up to four now. We, I've lost count. One, two, three. You've I've taken so three. many of mine. Um, look, I'm going to go with a bit of an unconventional pick. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit biased just because I adore it. But I want us to close our eyes for a second. And I want us to venture... Into the golden era of Amanda Bynes. Oh. Stay with me. And I want... This just has to be on there. And that movie is She's the Man. 
What an iconic movie. The fact that these two movies came out within, like, a short period of time of each other. It's just, I can... And it's I think that and me, Easy A. Yes. Easy A, She's the Man, and Mean Girls. I have such a vivid memory of being at sleepovers um, and just absolutely, not to be vulgar, but almost pissing ourselves laughing <laughs> with Channing Tatum and Amanda Bynes and that spider. It's just, it meets that criteria I said, it's timeless, it's still so funny. There are occasionally some questionable jokes, maybe they don't quite stand up, but I still, you know, I'm happy to, <laughs> to let that go. Um, and it's just brilliant. I think she, she, that's her peak. Yeah. I think she do what. Well, no, Sorry, I would argue, I would argue actually Hairspray is Amanda Bynes' peak. Oh, I do like Hairspray, but I, the favourite has got to be She's the Man. Um, it, it's fascinating. She, yeah, I find it hard to watch that movie. Hairspray? I, no, no, She's no. The She's the Man. I've watched yeah. it, what, like two or three times in my life? <laughs> I it's just the second-hand embarrassment for me. Party. What is it? I'm a third-party objective outsider with absolutely no personal interest in the matter. <laughs> <laughs> I just like... But it is. You it's play the, the beautiful whole game? Mrs. Dude? It's the Mrs. Bro? Brother? <laughs> it's the Mrs. Doubtfire stuff. I love Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, it's Robin Williams. Yeah. Brilliant. Surprised I didn't put a Robin Williams movie on this list. Anyway, we're going to keep moving along. Sorry, um, yes. I think the other one for me, um, if it's really, really important, is Crazy Rich Asians. Um, And this is an important... Interesting. This is an important point for me about representing communities that um, don't otherwise get represented in Hollywood. Yeah. And the way that this book was sold into a movie is a fascinating story. Mm. I have to find the TikToks that I watched recently about it all. But um, it wasn't sold to a major studio because the author didn't feel like they would respect the plot. Um, yeah. And they wouldn't... At one point, one studio suggested making the cast white instead of Asian. And it's like, that's not odd. That's not how Jesus. it works. Yeah. And, like, Crazy Rich Asians, to me, as someone who went to a private school mm. and, like, watched the life of rich people, it just kind of, like, validated, like, feeling like an outsider... Uh, and it wasn't like a she's not like other girls. She wanted to be like other girls. She was like other girls. She had an interest mm. in fashion, but she was also an incredibly smart, career-driven woman who came from that Western background. Mm. And, yeah, I don't like the whole idea of sacrificing. I do like, – I like the idea of, um, you know, obviously sacrificing misogyny um, for, you know, a, a relationship that you want, but also – yeah, I, I do worry that the whole resolution of, like, fuck my family, I'm going to, like, live my life with you. And admittedly, I think his mother gives him permission in the end or mm, something. Yes, yeah. But, like, I don't know. It, it is a fascinating one. That and Encanto, Ooh, I find are really brilliant. hard. A really hard movies to get your head around. I love around. Michelle Yeoh, so that's yeah. just love. Oh, she's such a strong actor. So but also Rachel Lim and what's her name? Oh, Crazy Friend. She plays the stork in the new Little Mermaid movie. Oh, Aquafina. Aquafina. Yeah. Um, and Aquafina. She and um Sandra O oh are in a movie together. Um, yeah. that it looks really good as well. Oh, I've been meaning to look watch. Good. Yeah, sisters. Yeah, sisters. And it like and it is. And it's like, like we're seeing this resurgence of like strong 
Asian representation. Yeah. It's Ronnie Chang being in it, being so he, you know, he's of Asian descent. He spent a long time in Australia. He got his start in you know comedy here in Australia. Um, yeah, like I think there's like those to see some of that homegrown talent shine so through good. as well is really really good yeah. to watch. Touching on family trauma, or I guess sort of you know first a uh, first generation immigrant. I think you definitely can't go wrong with everything everywhere all at once. I just I watched that with my mum, yeah. which recommend that for all mothers and daughters. That's an experience. <laughs> um, and yeah, just adored the movie. Love Michelle Yeoh, and I just think it was. I was so happy when it won the Oscar. Just so deserving that rock scene. I don't want to spoil it for yeah. listeners. I mean, well, this is just brilliant. And if anyone wants to hear more of my thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once, there's an episode of Super Scary with Josh. I'll link uh, to as well. It's an A24 film, and I think we yeah. haven't acknowledged A24 properly here. Um, and well, I, we're not doing TV shows because but we beef, decided that. beef was accidentally put on my list. We could do. Yeah. A whole other list, but A24, we adore. And I think that if it's also just understanding that, like, what traditional Hollywood wants out of movies Mm. isn't necessarily what we're looking for in strong plots. So um, it'll be fascinating to see what A24 does soon. They're doing an Aussie movie, I think, soon. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but I think that it's really important to mention Mm. that. Very interesting given and I don't want to offend any listeners, but we could say we're perhaps... I don't want to say the death of the Marvel Universe, because that's rather extreme, but I think we are seeing definitely a, a weakening grip economic-wise and just reach-wise for the Marvel Universe and whether studios like A24 will pick up on that. Um, I think also our contempt towards sequels. We, we, we've got to remember mm. that we grew up with really strong sequels. Look at Shrek 2. Look at... But then look at, like, what Disney failed to do with their sequels. We know a good sequel from a bad sequel. And... A good author and filmmaker knows when it's the right time to stop a story. And I think... I know this is not a movie, but I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag is a brilliant and exquisite example of that. Um, Originally for those who know, a play, Fleabag, and then it translated to a TV um, series. One season was brilliant, got so much acclaim, went to a second season, and despite so many calls, um, repeat, so for another, for a third season, um, the creator and obviously main actress, um, yeah, decided, no, that's that's where the story ended. And I think that's really brave and speaks to an artist's integrity as well. Yeah. They know when their story's done and they don't need to milk it. It's a hard decision as well yeah, when you want definitely. to explore characters further or yes. you might leave things unfinished. And that's the point of art. And I would argue that, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine's decision to stop when it did, mm. um, I'm thinking... I always thought that Morning was finished a really good spot. I've only watched the first two episodes of Morning Wars, which I think is called... The morning show outside of Australia, but we've got a TV show here called yeah. Well, yeah but um, the hard part I found with the second start of the second season of that is that it just doesn't feel as intriguing or as strong. Now we've got to remember that that first season is a slow burn. We're we're about to go and do our Apple TV Plus rewatch shenanigans at some point soon, and I just it's it's a really hard decision to stop something. Um, 
And what, you know, there are films that I watch. The whole Barbie cinema, the Mattel cinematic universe discussions that seem to have had, which, like, I still don't believe are real. But, like, you sit there and you go... You're really going to do it after we watched Marvel fall? And I'm not yeah. blaming I'm not blaming the fall of Marvel on any particular movie. I'm I'm blaming it on the executives and the the oversaturation of the market and the refusal to understand that we want good quality, interesting yeah. stories that are are about humans. So they they aren't about fighting. They're about humans and humanity. Yeah. Um, so going to our, what, our fifth one now or sixth, we've overlapped a lot now, so, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Even though I did critique Marvel, my next movie is actually Marvel. Um, I found it hard when doing this exercise to sort of pinpoint one. I actually really loved Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. Um, loved the first half of Black Widow. That's a whole other podcast, though. Um, but I thought just in terms of timelessness, quotability, and just sort of cultural change, I I would put Black Panther there, definitely. Ah, yeah. See, I I think if I had to choose a Marvel movie, it'd be the first Iron Man movie, I which is a Danny little bit Junior. yeah, it is a little bit heavy handed with the anti the almost like Islamophobic mm. um, war on terror kind of language, but it is a really heartwarming story and a heart-wrenching yeah. story as well. You um, can't find someone more charismatic than Robert Downey Jr. too. And I think he was just made for that role, which he definitely won- helped. And obviously, like, he, he, for those who are aware of what Robert Downey Jr. was going through personally at that point in time, mm. to have someone go, we will put our faith in you, but you've really got to turn your act around. Yeah. And him, you could see he was putting effort into that. And I think it's so important to acknowledge that, like, we often, like, like to prey on the scandal that is the Hollywood industry, that is the royals. And so often we've just got to remove ourselves and go that it's really important to acknowledge that, you know, people can change. Yeah. I think, yeah, for me, what I've mentioned before, cinematography, costuming, quotability, Black Panther just met all of that and what it meant to you know the people that it represented i think was just huge and yeah obviously what a huge loss um chadwick boseman and yeah Mm. such yeah such a loss for um the industry and yeah Yeah. what a phenomenal actor okay i think this one will kind of come back to the silliness that we Mm. were um, yes minions rise of Gru. (laughs) so not that i don't adore minions but just pinpoint when that is exactly in the franchise despicable me you got then you have despicable me two yep and then so they then they make the these minions movies and they're yes. like prequels basically so this is to the despicable first minions me movies you're saying i'm i think it's the second minions movie because it was the one that everyone rocked up to in suits, suits. In. right and so this is where it's like this was the cultural moment we started our generation had enough autonomy to choose what we were wearing first of all <laughs> but also decided to go to cinemas as groups and I just remember all the panic that, like, journalists at the time were, like, you know, kind of inciting of, like, you know, who knows what these youths are doing. Youths. Uh, <laughs> uh, gang of youths. And, like, going and, like, obviously, like, Despicable Me. And I think this 
it's a fascinating discussion about like our love hate relationship with Illumination as a studio. Mm. Um, obviously they've put out some excellent movies. Like Despicable Me is a great movie. It's a great and, and it rides off. The, I, I think you know Megamind walks so Despicable Be Me could run, but like mm. the Minions movie, I think was a cultural moment where it was we, fun. We realized we yeah. can have fun with cinema. Yeah, I am listening to you, but all I can you just mentioned youths, and all I can hear is Schmidt's new girls <laughs> pronunciation of the youths. 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 <laughs> Yeah, and I think that I, I, I've written this kind of comedically, but understanding our relationship with Illumination Studios will be something historians study, I think. <laughs> I just I genuinely think that it's going to be really hard if we think, you know, 100 years down the track when someone's doing a media mm. studies course of the early 2020s to understand, or the early 20- 2000s, to understand how, yeah. how symbiotic our relationship with movie studios were mm. and... The breakdown of obviously what was the Hollywood Golden Age control they had over actors and creative processes, mm. um, and you know the demand that they saw for that Minions movie is such uh, yeah. an inherent byproduct of that. To think that you know people like you mentioned, what fifty years from now, will look at the toilet paper wars during the pandemic. And also people wearing suits to the Minion movies. I think it will really be perplexing for them. And they'll wonder there's, what we really got up to in the 2020s. There's so much content. I, you know, and we look back and like, we talk about the 1920s. It's our Great Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is our Great Gatsby. To think that, and, and this is, I was thinking about this last night and I, I think I forgot to tell you this, but like, I think we're in our golden age, like our 20s, our roaring mm. 20s, because Taylor Swift is touring the country, where, uh, the, the world, and we're paying thousands upon thousands of dollars to mother. go and see her mother um and we are entertainment has become so important the entertainment mm. industry we will go and do things for ourselves yeah. self-care has become so important yes i think it speaks to that idea of girlhood as well and just the power of the female dollar i would say 2023 you know we've seen the absolutely sensational world cup campaign for the matildas obviously Taylor Swift's um, Errors Tour, Barbie. It's just been a great year. Sorry, entertainment history-wise for women, Mm. um, which I think has just been amazing to see. Watching the Spanish Football Federation have a fight with their national women's team. Um, You know, and and this is the thing, and everyone going... in some ways not a good year for women. Yeah, (laughs) but But like also everyone getting behind them and going, well, the women are right. Like, you know, no questions asked, they're in the right. I think that, that that's a really important part. I have counted my dashes, and we are on film number five. Okay, amazing. Well, I, if I may, I'm. It's interesting, and any sort of I guess film nerd will attest to this. Often, big franchises or the big Hollywood blockbusters are often really criticised. You know, Martin Scorsese famously criticised Marvel for being almost like a roller coaster. Yeah. Um. But it is very interesting. My next three movies are actually all Hollywood Do you want to go blockbuster quick, go franchises. Um, I'll start with what I think is the most topical, given the upcoming um, Ballad of Songbird and Snakes. I have got to put the Hunger Games trilogy on there. Um, timelessness, 
not really quotability, but more just knowledge and a deep appreciation. I was a huge Hunger Games enthusiast. I dressed I up as still Katniss. quite quotable. There's still TikTok sounds. Yeah. Dad tried to had to go find me a bow and arrow from Target. Shout out to Andrew Canelli. Thanks, Dad. Um, and yeah, just loved it. I think speaking to what we said about for about before, often it's hard to translate literature wise a book to film. Suzanne Collins' work, I think, was just really brilliantly done. Um, Jennifer Lawrence. She used to be a TV writer as well, Suzanne Collins, which I didn't know. And I've only seen the Hunger Games movies this year, so I didn't quite appreciate. It was very 2012. His early movication by me. This This is 2012 as well. This is where... We saw Deathly Hallows wrap up. This was the height of book-to-movie adaptations. Yeah. And I think it also marks – I'm not sure timeline-wise, so I'm very open to people correcting me, but it marks the beginning of, I think, our generation's deep obsession with dystopian films. We know it was Hunger Games, which then kicked off Divergent, which was then Maze Runner, The Fifth Wave. We just saw almost like Twilight's sort of inception of vampire novels and TV shows. Mm. Um, So I think for our generation, I would sort of just absolutely Hunger Games is the benchmark for dystopian um, cinema. And it's just a great story. We can make an entirely different podcast on Suzanne Collins' critique of American capitalism and the entertainment industry, and I just think it's yeah, it's a brilliant novel and trilogy. Sorry, it's, it's funny. It's that, on that list. Yeah, I think it's it's a funny um, situation where you know, yeah, that's right. Suzanne Collins is critiquing the entertainment mm. industry, and to think that we lapped it up like yeah, you know, citizens of the capital would lap up the Hunger mm. Games. I think it kind of proves a point. So you know, um, and it is. I think I. And if my mother is listening to this, which I doubt she is, yes, I have watched The Hunger Games. Sorry, Megan. Blame Hannah. You can be mad at Hannah for no, all. Sorry, Megan. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I think it is a really important film to show people, to un- young people as well, to understand the wide-reaching impacts that a war and violence has. Mm. Because, like, it is a deeply anti... It's a deeply pacifist angle that this is coming from you know these people don't want to fight each other um but yeah samuel it's your next movie sir was that on your list it was on my list okay cool um i am going to plug not plug sorry i'm gonna mention next Pitch Perfect. No! Overlap again! Rio, Rio, Rio! It's like the QI, like... Can you have a siren? Can you put a sound in when we overlap? I feel like we're a bit late for it now. No, but you can go back and edit it, can't you? This is... I'm viewers, listeners. I... This is my first podcast. I'm actually really unfamiliar with podcast editing. No, you can't edit audio. It's being recorded on massive tapes. No, it's fine. I can edit it. Just put a little siren in. Um, but like pitch perfect, yes, pitch perfect. Brilliant. Do I need to say much more? Nothing needs to be said. You actually just need to say pitch perfect, and we can move on because every single person can do the cup song. I was in, I think, grade seven or grade six. You must be in grade seven because I was in grade six, and it was just like we got in trouble from teachers because everyone was practicing it. Every single person knew it. Every single person saw it. Obviously, 
let's not go too much into the second and third movies. They are questionable. Love Elizabeth Banks. Love her. She can do no wrong, but she did do wrong with those ones. <laughs> Music's still good, but yeah, I think the first one just can't be touched. I think it's brilliant, and a Kendrick at her best. Um, and yeah, music-wise, just phenomenal. And I think it just meets that criteria, which I feel like I'm only talking about. Look, <laughs> and not you. Look, it <laughs> but does it's timeless, just, it's quotable yeah. knowledge. It just meets all of those. And I think that and it goes back to my, my comment about sound. You know, yeah. having something that sounds good is really important to us. Mm. You know, we need something. But also, like, to me, it was the diversity as well. This is where we started seeing barriers broken in terms of diversity mm. representation. Obviously, like, and then on top of that, someone like Rebel Wilson, yeah, it's like size representation as mm. well. Rebel Wilson is an Aussie. She's fucking hilarious. So for her, she doesn't go and do comedy tours of Australia. She'd sell out stadiums, I reckon. <laughs> um, she's the pink of comedy in my head. You know, every white Australian mum kind of has a soft spot for Rebel Wilson. And to think that she every also has, like, a mom. Bachelor of Law or Bachelor of Business. Yes, yes. And, like, she is a self-made queen. She is. Um, and, and, yeah, anyway, I think that it is. it is one of those ones where historians will come back and go... That really did define the way that we thought about things. Yes. Um, and Gen Z was really informed by the chaos that was, especially those sequels. I kind of love the sequels. My next one, I think, is just a given. It almost seems silly for me to say it, um, but it is Harry Potter. Um, we do need to, to address, and, you know, obviously there is a podcast on the network that talks about this extensively. Fuck J.K. Rowling. We hate her. Um, you know, but it is, it does it is. Was important... Harry Potter on your list? It was not. I think because mm. I was uh, obviously like to me, I've kind of erased Harry Potter as a a pop culture thing that I feel the need to talk about. Admittedly, it's probably mm. because you know twice a year I jump on a and jump on Christina Car Christina's you know restricted section and talk to her about it. Mm. But it is a it is important, I think. Um, it's fascinating. I think it also is it's a good and a bad one where there are a lot of people who had a lot of moral panic about it at the same time mm. as it came out. You know, I just vividly remember mum having to explain to me that there were people that we knew that weren't allowed to read it because their parents oh, didn't wow. want them to be exposed to witchcraft. Oh. Um, and... Whereas my mother, my mother had the rule you had to be the age of Harry Potter to read that book. Mm. So I never really read The Deathly Hallows because I just kind of stopped reading by the time I was 17. Yeah. Um, I just have this, yeah, pr sort of really strong memory. I just devoured them. Like, I just read them as fast as I could. And I think, yeah, like, like most kids growing up, and it's deeply unfortunate that J.K. Rowling's comments have so almost soiled the reputation. Mm. Um of the Harry Potter universe. Um, but I suppose, like you said before, that is an entirely different conversation if we are purely talking about Harry Potter as a series, timelessness, knowledge, quotability, it does check the mark. I and will was... say the books, and when you go through the books with a fine tooth comb, they're not inherently good books in terms of, like, 
They're not really well written, but I think because we consume them the way we did, they have been important to our culture. Yeah, I'd say even just movie-wise, like I thought they were all a pretty solid translation from um from story to screen. Mm. And just yeah, I mean I glasses and bushy hair, so I think I definitely like the idea of Hermione when I was <laughs> Emma Watson. Mother. Yeah, mother. Mother. Um Okay, um, my next one, I've got to go through the list. My next one's an interesting choice. It's the movie Moxie. I think it's a Netflix film. Mm. I wouldn't say that's defined our generation just because it's, for me, it's too new, but I do love the movie. I think, and, and I, I, I think what I'm trying to get at with this movie in particular is that there is a group of films and it's Do Revenge is in this I was about to say Do Revenge is higher for me. I love Do Revenge. I find Moxie a little bit more subtle. Have you seen Booksmart? I have seen Booksmart. And uh, Booksmart's in that group as well. It's that group of movies there that talk about female empowerment. And for Mm. me... Moxie was a very Me Too movie as mm. well, where obviously sexual assault is a theme and understanding the impacts it had, the wide-reaching, uh, you know, stuff that, you know, and, and I would group sex education into this as well, um, you know, that, education. you know, when your sexual assault happens, it doesn't just impact the individual, it impacts the community. Mm. And educating people about that... And that was my first exposure to it, I would say. You know, the Moxie, and it was the whole quiet girl turned, you know, advocate. Vigilante advocate, yeah. Um, Obviously, yeah. And I don't, I don't think, I think the movie is a quite strong one. I think it will stand the test of time really well. Mm. Um, It's got that very much, it appeals back to that, not what we were saying at the start of the episode, that 90s. Um, nostalgia element where we, you know, she's creating a zine basically. A zine. I forget which way we're supposed to pronounce it. But, you know, I put it in there because it was a bit of a wild card because I I remember it resonating so much with me. And if I look back to the criteria, you know, it is a t- to me it's quite timelessness. It's not particularly quotable but it does teach you a lot. I think it's a very knowledgeable movie you, you you gain a lot i think out of it about you know the surprising reactions that people have when they see a need mm. i just would if you picked a random person off the street would they know it oh sorry i forgot that that was what the knowledge criteria was supposed to be. that's okay i think i'm cracking down but yeah you to are be honest down. It's and like it's probably movie. my weakest choice, mm. but I needed. I felt like I needed to mention it because I resonated with it a lot. Yeah. Another That's one fair. for me. I'm I'm on the franchise train, and it's Twilight. Oh gosh, Twilight! <laughs> I abided by the criteria very strictly. Um. And that's why, yeah, Hunger Games, See, I Harry Potter, feel- Twilight. I just think we'd be. A miss for not mentioning them because I think they just have been so fundamental for our generation. Kristen Stewart, Robert Patterson. Yeah, I would I would argue that it probably doesn't define our generation; it defines millennials more. That's fair. I was actually you mentioned before about Harry Potter about some people not being 
allowed to read it. Mm. I my mum was actually super against, not against, but sort of thought they were a bit adult. Um, I think it, well, to think that Fifty Shades of Grey is Twilight fan fiction, like we've got to keep that in mind. Um, like, and I think that we've got to understand that I I think we do have to appreciate that Twilight is obviously a really important part of our cultural like journey as a as a generation you know fallout boy came from like this is the thing 911 yes. sparked it's this whole line and you know it's obviously quite loose but you know 911 sparked fallout boy which sparked twilight which sparked 50 shades of gray where have you been loca <laughs> like, like iconic <laughs> but like and this is the thing, I haven't seen those movies, and oh, I don't think I could quote more than maybe Where Have You Been, Loka. Where Have You Been, Loka. Shout out to Taylor Bortner. Mother, almost. <laughs> oh, um, yes, you, you next. Me next. Me next. The 1980s? No, it must be 90s, or like 2003 Matilda movie. The one with the really scary Miss Trunchbull. Danny DeVito. Horrific. In his prime. Brilliant, but like gay. Miss Trunchbull happens. was not played by Danny DeVito, but like Danny DeVito was in <laughs> that movie. Don't put this information out there. <laughs> Danny, Danny DeVito could be. He's he's a chameleon. He could be Miss Trunchbull. He really if he could be Miss Trunchbull. Um, no, yes, good. It's back in that Roald Dahl yes. black humour era. And this is coming from someone I, w- I always found Roald Dahl a little bit uneasy to digest. So I consumed I his books like they, were, like they were life-saving food. He's a man of questionable reputation too as well. He if is. we're going into critiquing but, uh, source and, uh, material. Yeah. Which is an entirely different podcast. Because well. you, when you read his autobiography, it's fascinating to read it because I think the care and devotion he had for telling stories for children mm. was really important. Obviously, there's some things he has said and some... Yeah, and I, I don't know. I try to like keep my brain out of it, um, but like, I think that the devotion he has for telling adult stories to children, yeah, like the like, and of course there's like there's problems with representation, but if we look at like a story like the Twits, that is like a horrific story to tell and yeah. obviously i think it plays into some really really terrible stereotypes but his willingness to go right up to that and to tell a story that is engaging for children i think is yeah. really important and it really shows you know and, and i think his strongest work charlie and the chocolate factory matilda and james and the giant peach that was my next question out of roll tar roll roll tar, out of roll dolls sort of repertoire um, anthology? What's the word for a collection of books? Literature? I don't know. Works? Works, yeah. Let's yeah. go simple. Um, would Matilda be your favourite? I think Matilda is obviously the widest appealing. My favourite is actually The Witches, um, Ooh, which good. is deeply racist uh, upon reflection. Um, but it was recently made into a movie. Um, See, I thought your answer... Just giving your love for Wes Anderson, I thought your answer was going to be Fantastic Mr. Fox. I always was dissatisfied with Fantastic Mr. Fox's book because it was one of the smallest in the you could buy the full Roldal collection, and it's always one of the smallest books in there. It's about the same size as the Twits. And 
Quentin Blake's illustrations do a lot for it. Yeah, fair. Um, but I think that it's a really... Matilda is one of those movies. Obviously, the musical with Tim Minchin uh, behind it as well is really important. Mm. Um, and I think that it's... It, it, yeah, as we keep saying, the 90s kind of have a chokehold on us, culturally. Yes. Um, I don't know. Have you seen the James and the Giant Peach movie? I have. I think it frightened me as well it's as the It's a witches. scary movie. The Witches movie, um, I think was done, it was done fairly recently in that remake. very yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory vibe. Which is also Timothy Chalamet debuting as Willy Wonka himself. We, that is coming up. I think this will be the third. It's the third, the third Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. Or is this a Wonka prequel? I'm sorry, I haven't done my research. I don't know. I don't kind of don't want to know. I just want to go in with a blank head. But um, um, I think that the Matilda movie, and then the Matilda musical, and then the Matilda movie musical. Um, I think that those are really important cinematic. Like to think that that's where we got, you know. I loved Miss Honey's Cottage. I wanted yeah. to live there. Our introduction to, like, Danny DeVito as children as yes. well. Like, we've got to remember that we are younger than a lot of people not who grew Penguin up with Danny Batman. DeVito. I have not watched any of the Batman movies. Not even Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. No. Actually, I'm not a fan of Christopher Nolan. That's also another hot take I've got. The film nerds are screaming into the void of cinema. So. You know what? I'm kind of happy to piss off film nerds. Um, my final one that I've got on my list, because we've overlapped so much, is another franchise, but I very much stand by it. Um, and that is the Narnia trilogy, but with a particular emphasis on the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Big fan of it. And this is maybe, I guess, not as strong because it might not be as relevant to a lot of people, but I watched this countless of times as a kid, just absolutely adored it. Um, C.S. Lewis's storytelling, I think, just translated beautifully um, on screen. Ambitious? Not ambitious. I think The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they're the filmmaker's choice to start there for anyone who's familiar with C.S. Lewis's work. I, I don't think that's the first book. I think it's actually it is the second nephew. book. It is the first book that was written, mm. but it is the second book chronologically. So yeah. theoretically, you read you should read the Magician's Nephew first. Yes. I've tried to read all those books. It is hard. C.S. Lewis sometimes gets quite heavy-handed yeah. with his um, allegories, Man, and that's where. Wonderful. Well, and this is the thing: is like the allegory in the line, the Witch from the Wardrobe, is obviously like powerful but subtle enough that it has that mass appeal. Obviously, there's quite heavy Christian undertones. Yeah. Um, but it also, and we haven't mentioned this, but I don't think it has as much influence, but the, it's also Lord of the Rings-esque. I was literally, I think, for me as a kid. Because they're friends as authors as well, yes. so they're very similar plots. Friendship goals. Yeah. Um, I think for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, for me, was that introduction into a fantasy genre that I've just continued to absolutely, you know, adore. Lord of the Rings. Um, Narnia, by an extension, although I think many people would characterize Game of Thrones as a a fusion of both of those, obviously a bit more morally grey mm. and violent. Um, but yeah, I think just for a lot of I think people our age, Narnia would have been yeah a great introduction to that fantasy genre and that real sort of battle of good and evil and war and horses and swords and testosterone, you know, just the 
the great stuff. Yeah, and very like so medieval and, and heroes think, and yeah. villains. And, yeah. It's very much like a and because we read those books as small children, I remember reading it for year four English, I think. Mm. And you know, my year four English teacher being you know talking to us about how you know important this book was. He read it out loud to us, I think, in class. Anyway, I still have three movies left on my list. They're all kind of in the same vein, so I wanted to quickly go through the rapid fire. Rapid fire. So we've got Kingsman, the Kingsman series. I think the it telling an elegant action story. Yes, um, I love Turn Edgerton, so I I and love that. That yeah. British comedy as well. Colin Firth. We were we Up were literally yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Quotability. <laughs> yeah. And I think that people will remember it. And to me, it exercised quite a bit of restraint. Obviously, there is a sequel and there is a prequel. But those movies kind of can act independently of each other to an extent. Um, I would say that Kingsman 2 obviously is a a mildly less strong movie, but it's still a very strong movie. Um, Their decision, spoiler... Go ahead. Their decision to kill off Roxy within the first like ten minutes of the sequel that hurt. was deeply upsetting. That was terrible. To my call. Uh, I have Enola Holmes. It's that Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. Millie we haven't Bobby mentioned Brown. her. Um but also I think the really important of telling a complex story that's got a lot of layers. Um, mm. It reminds me, I don't know whether you ever read these books, the Alice Miranda books by Jacqueline Harvey. I have to plug those. They're really good books. If you want a really simple read, kind of mystery, but it's like a child who's like six years old solving mysteries, but like not like, um, what's it called? You know, like the famous five or anything. It's kind of like her solving them by accident. Um, I definitely, like, it gives me Alice Miranda vibes, and I definitely really appreciated it because I was a big fan of the Alice Miranda books when I was a kid. Mm. The last one I have, and this is very much an Australian slash British cornerstone, Nanny McPhee. Oh, my goodness. In response to Mary Poppins. And Thompson. Yeah. Thomas Brady Sangster. Um, and it's just, Amazing. I think it's a really powerful plot. It reminds me of... The book Seven Little Australians, another plug I would mm. give. Um, and it's got a fairly similar plot. It's got a really interesting black comedy. It's back again, back in full force. Yes. But also, just like that willingness to tell a story in a way that you probably wouldn't expect. Um, they're very 2007. I think that they're really great movies. They still hold up quite a lot. And people mm. know the Nanny McPhee movies. I do. No, I, I really like that pick. Um, my final one is actually probably our generation's first introduction. Well, actually, first introduction to death was Lion King. Mufasa's tragic demise. We haven't had a Disney animated movie on this list. Lion King would absolutely be there. But I was thinking more in terms of non-animation. I would put Bridge to Terabithia. As have never watched it. I probably can't tell need you. Need to edit that out then because that's a disgrace. <laughs> um, Bridge to Terabithia in terms of spoiler character death. Um, I'd say definitely that was a huge thing for a lot of people growing up. That movie, its creativity, the storyline behind it, the almost the very adult emotions in terms of, you know, yeah, loss of a loved one, grief, family disputes, but done in a way that it was digestible for a young audience. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't rec- recommend it enough. 
Um, it's a very young Josh Hutchinson who, yeah, does a brilliant job. And, yeah, I just think it's a terrific movie. Speaking, you talked about a couple of themes there. I'm looking for a particular movie I watched uh, for an English class. Mm. It's funny. While you're you're Googling, I'll just you know, chat to the mic. Empire of the Sun. Ah, I I don't think it has a huge. I haven't seen it. It's a it's a it's a hard watch. It's a hard movie to watch, and it's long as well. It's not a short movie. It's nineteen eighty seven, and it talks about the Japanese invasion of China, and this kid basically gets lost, and it's his journey home, and it is. I I, you were mentioning some of those things in Bridge to Terabithia, and I think that that is really. Important. So we need to watch Bridge to Terabithia. This podcast um, session has actually been just a secret mission for me to source exactly the holes in Sam's cinematic knowledge and how we can fill them. I've been bamboozled. Did Steven Spielberg direct Shrek? I'm sorry. Um... No. I don't think so. So why should... I am bamboozled. No, it's not. Definitely not. He must be in the cast somewhere. Andrew Adamson. And yes, that very long pause was me staring in bewilderment at Sam. But also with a sort of creeping horror that maybe, in fact, he was right. But I've just Googled it and it is Andrew Adamson who was the original director of Shrek. I don't know where this Steven Spielberg is coming from. I'm afraid. I'm very afraid too. Like... Is that... A funny gag, or we're actually just maybe because he owns DreamWorks. Didn't Steve Spielberg launch DreamWorks? This is um a little screen rant from Doctor Google. Though Shrek was helmed by the Spielberg founded DreamWorks, his uncredited involvement leaves one susceptible to not immediately knowing the depth of his duties on the picture. <gasps> this could be a whole other podcast. Oh gosh, we're going to learn Did a lot about Steven Spielberg. Spielberg He's got a weird Shrek. sense of humour because he also was behind Men in Black in some capacity and, like, think in Gremlins as well. Um, there are a lot of movies that I wanted to mention here. I think The Adventures of Tintin was a really important movie. Um, I'm just looking through Spielberg movies at this point in time. Going more into animation, I think this could be an entirely different podcast. Mm. That's like my catchphrase now. Yeah. But it could be. Just our our early um, viewings of Disney movies. The original Little Mermaid, um, Pocahontas, Mulan. Finding Classics Nemo. like that. That's Pixar, but okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Still Disney, Hannah. <laughs> Whether to, I guess, the more modern interpretations, I would say, yeah, I love Frozen, but Tangled and Moana are real standouts for me. Um, I just think, yeah, they're fantastic movies music-wise and also just female character-wise. Well, we've reached the end of our list. Hannah, do you want to be found on the internet? Um, yes. That's okay. Where can people find you on the internet? On Instagram. I actually don't know my handle oh, off by gosh. heart, which I think it's Hannah underscore Canelli six, just because all the other Hannah Canellis were taken, and at She's that point of, in my one. life, I liked the number six. Um, I can say that Hannah's hashtag is Hannah underscore Canelli six, and it's K E double N E double L Y. That's me. Thank you. Um, 
And has there been anything that you've been reading, watching, or listening to that you wanted to plug? Look, I've just finished Yellow Face. I didn't just finish. I finished it a while ago, but I have handed it to Sam now. I have started reading it and I am hooked. And I cannot recommend it more. I love books that just immediately hook you in and this page excuse the cliche, is just a page turner. Like, I devoured it within about two hours. If anyone works in the publishing industry or works in writing in any Mm. capacity, I think it's a fascinating grapple with plagiarism. Yeah, and diversity and marginalised communities, representation. And we've got to acknowledge that we are two white people, Mm, like, having a conversation about these. But, like... I have definitely felt those feelings before, and I think that, yeah, I don't know, based on the first... resentment, I think it deals with very well. The first five chapters have been incredibly good. I've got more to read tonight as I go to bed. Also, Uh, and I guess, can I plug old movies? Yeah, go ahead. Um, We recently watched um, Spotlight, which was a, I think, the 2015 um, Best Picture Academy Award winner. Um, which was an exploration of the Boston Globe's um, investigation into sex abuse within the Catholic Church. Just brilliant movie. And, yeah, really recommend for anyone um, who's interested in that. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Yeah, it was a really good movie. There's a lot of journalism movies out there. But, we're biased because um, we're journalists, but yeah. we love it. Um Sam, anything you'd like to plug? Well, so you can find me at sam.journalist on Instagram and on TikTok. Uh, you can find the podcast at content the letter N capable on Instagram. We're also on threads. Check us out there. Uh, and on Facebook as well. Um, I am going to plug this week a book as well. I'm going to plug the book The Space Between mm. by uh, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Mothers. Um, podcasting people that I just absolutely adore. I don't think they can do any wrong at this point in time. Um, but it talks about, uh, I've recommended this. I'm going to read what I wrote to uh, the Deus Ex Media Book Club. For as little as a dollar a month, you can join the Deus Ex Media Book Club. Uh, it is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, every month we discuss a new book, um, and it is always really great. Anyway, um I, so, yeah, so basically Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald launched a podcast in 2017 called Shameless, and now it's one of the biggest podcasts in the country. The book is a collection of essays and listicles about their life in the space between um, being actually an adult and feeling like an adult, that, that early 20s. Um, and it's a really powerful book, which resonated a lot with me, especially because I felt quite lost over the last few weeks a little bit. Um, both personally and in my career. If you want general motivation and people to tell you that what you're doing is totally okay, um, I would definitely recommend the book. It also, like, makes you ask some questions about, like, you know, is this, you know, what I want to be doing, you know, in in five years' time? And it's not that whole, like, make a five-year plan, but it's that, you know, let's, you know, think about, what we want, not what the company wants. And they talk about their time working for Mamma Mia, which I think is very fascinating for a women's media organisation. So, um, and look, I don't want to ever, like, ruin my chances of working in an excellent organisation, but, you know, I do think it's quite indicative of, like, startup culture and stuff. Um, And it's interesting the way that they talk about it. Anyway, thank you, Hannah, so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, listening to all my ranting.
I think there's going to be many more of these uh, in the future, and <laughs> I'm mildly worried and apologise. Content and Capable was recorded, edited, and produced by Samuel O'Brien. You can follow the podcast at Content, the letter N, Capable on Instagram, and you can find it on Facebook. You can also send an email through to contentandcapablepod at gmail.com with any of your thoughts, queries, or concerns. The best way to support the podcast is to leave a review on your preferred podcatcher so more people can hear the podcast. The art was done by Opia, and the music was written, edited, and produced by Jason Hilton. Content and Capable is proud to be a part of the Deus Ex Media Network, where you can find a podcast for any of your nerdy interests. I'm Christina Kahn. And I'm Leela Hilton. And this is Burn Before Reading. The podcast about shitterature. We're here to examine the terrible writing we did when we were younger. Uh, like that school project you were really proud of. Or that poem you wrote when you got dumb. Well, how about that apology letter you wrote to your mom when you got into that fight? Or the song you recorded before you knew how to write music. Okay, don't at me. <laughs> and we're here to talk about other cringy literary topics along the way. Like the Library of Alexandria. And Dewey Decimal. His name was Melville. Melville Dewey. Oh, well, do we want to get the clips rolling? I don't think I ever recovered from this in terms of being cool. Why did I say any of this? Guys, you like the drama. So there is actually quite a bit to unpack here. Oh, all this drama was so addictive as a teenager. There's no punctuation to it. I'll start with that. I actually have no memory of this. There were so many, so many lies that I was telling. It's not terrible. No one like really taught me how to write a good short story. That was a journey. Listen to Burn Before Reading every Wednesday, wherever pods are cast. Thank you for listening to Content and Capable. Don't forget to rate and review, and we'll see you next week for another episode. Dave X Media.